Great last song, don't you think? Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. And in fact, our sermon today is about expectations. You'll see behind me. Expectations. When you're in the fog, uh, you're unaware, unreasonable, and unspoken expectations. But when you're in the clear, there's, you're aware, reasonable, and spoken. So go back with me into a time of your marriage where you've been mad at your spouse and you had no idea that you were supposed to do something because you were unaware. In fact, when you find out about it, it was actually unreasonable. And perhaps it was unspoken. So you felt in the fog. So I use this kind of slide from C-Prep. And it talks about, we got to talk about our expectations, what we think about when we're coming into a relationship, what your expectations are of yourself, what your expectations are, are your, of your supposed to be. But we can uh, translate this into any relationship, really, because so often we expect something from a friend or we expect something from a spouse, and it's not happening. But when we think about it or when stuff hits the fan, un- you all of a sudden realize, whoa, whoa, I was unaware of that. I had no clue that my wife wanted me to do that. Or actually, what he's wanting me to do is quite unreasonable or it's been unspoken. So here we're always trying to transport people in their new marriages over to the clear. To be aware of expectations, be aware of your own expectations. Some of them aren't all that reasonable. Be reasonable about it, and then it needs to be spoken. How many guys, especially, ladies don't listen, how many times have we like had, had no idea what they wanted? Do you know what I'm saying? And it's been unspoken, but for some reason they expect us to be magicians. You know what I'm saying? Just, and we just don't listen either, right? They've been dropping the hints. That's what the lady said over here, but I don't know about that one. <laughs> but when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, let me, think of, let me ask you this today. Is, uh, is there a chance that you had expectations about your relationship with Christ? You had expectations of God, and those expectations have been broken. So it's a little different than the, the, what we're looking at right now with the slide. But is there a chance that when you became a Christian, you thought... Awesome. I love the whole story, the gospel narrative. And now that I have Christ, I won't struggle with anxiety anymore. I perhaps now will have such incredible faith in Christ that I will be healed. I will walk in healing. Or now I'll be able to be really patient with my wayward son so that now he'll be drawn into the graces of our Lord Jesus Christ and everything will be perky. Have you ever had, when you're honest with yourself, expectation of your relationship with God. Perhaps teenagers, you're pressing in and it looks, you look around, you might go to a Christian school and you realize that lots of the kiddos are being attracted to all sorts of things that are pretty nasty and you're trying to follow Christ, but yet you're almost being bullied for it. So I want us to look at this and you know we've been in the book of Luke forever and it's going to continue on. But when our struggles and our doubts cause us to question God and his ways, I think there's three ways that we can respond. One of them is we can totally reject it. Simply reject what Christ says about himself. And he has not met our expectations, so boom, forget about it. Secondly, and there's an allusion to this in our text this morning, is we can react in a childish way, or what the uh, word that we're going to see in verse 23 is a scandalous kind of way, and one of the terms that it's been called is it's called the parable of the brat. The parable of the brat. So perhaps we're going, fine! If I don't get it my way, I'm walking away. I'm going to try a different religion, or I'm going to do this all by myself, or buy another self-help book. 
So it's the parable of the brat, number two. Or number three, maybe we can respond in a childlike way, not a childish way, but a childlike way, and follow the ways of wisdom. And just so I, to give you a little bit of background, when I say the ways of wisdom, I'm talking about even paying attention because we got a lot of people with gray hair in here, and they have walked with the Lord. They have uh, they have tasted and seen that He is good. They have an oral tradition that is really, really um, well respected in so many cultures. And I'm saying today that we need to also respect that culture, that we can sit down with some of these folks with gray hair, hair of wisdom, and we can go, wait a second. We can listen to their stories upon stories upon stories of what God has brought them through. And they're still here today. Right? They're still here today. So we got to look at that. We got to weigh what we see in scripture. We can't just simply look at, at uh, media and go, oh, this world's falling apart and it looks like the devil's in charge, so do it what you may. We've got to also see that he is calling us towards something and our job is simply to be faithful. Our job is to be faithful. A lot of what I'm talking about this morning has been kind of... Um, Influenced by Eugene Peterson and also Greg Ogden and also another person that I've been reading lately is, I think his name is Brother Yun, right? The Heavenly Man. If you haven't read that book, read it. That's your assignment this week, The Heavenly Man. And one of the convictions that I've been running into, it seems as though, is that a lot of us want to be Christians, but not many of us want to be disciples. Many of us want to be Christians, but not many of us want to be disciples. And I think we've got a problem. Because even as some of these authors have pointed out, oftentimes we've looked at our Christian walk as simply we want the benefits or we want the lifestyle, but we don't necessarily want the depth of what does it mean to be called into the kingdom. What does it look like? What does it mean you'll be doing? How will you be changed? How will you serve? And as crude as it sounds, when I was a kid, sometimes all I wanted was a walk with Christ I wanted to know I was good with Christ so I could have fire insurance. If something happened to me and I would die, oh, thank God, I would just escape the licks of the fires of hell and go to Jesus, right? And that's sometimes, let's be honest, that's sometimes that's what motivates us. We don't want hell. We want something better. So we have just a decaf relationship with Jesus so that we're good. By the way, speaking of decaf, uh, we are renovating our thingy downstairs, our, our whole kitchen. So we actually have this relationship now with Laura's and she's making coffee for us right now for the next couple weeks. Isn't that cool? I love that kind of thing. I love the neighborly community that we have around here. Nonetheless, that's what I'm after today. Bach says this, the psychological adversity of doubt or expectations that are crushed or unmet, the psychological adversity of doubt carries the seed of real growth when the answer is sought from God's perspective. I'm going to say that again. The psychological adversity of doubt carries the seed of real growth when the answer is sought from God's perspective. Let me say this again, is that sometimes what happens when you're struggling with doubt or an unmet expectation, we just throw up our hands in the air and we may look for answers outside of ourselves. We may look to somebody in media. We may look to a song. We may look to anything else, but we throw up our hands in the air. Instead of pressing into God, we just throw up our hands and walk away. And I don't think that's the way of a disciple, which we're going to see 
has been shown by one of his disciples in scripture. He calls us to be disciples. And today's sermon title would be, What Did You Expect? So I want you to ask that question. Maybe we're even going to pray about it. Is, what did you expect when you came to Jesus? Some of you are loaded with broken dreams. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're going, why another seizure? Why another stint in the hospital? Why is this happening to me? I've been faithful. Or why am I so struggling with my finances? Or I've been showing up to church trying to serve. Why is this happening to me? Why? Why is my marriage crumbling? Let's bow our heads. I think all of us have had those questions, Lord, of uh, why, especially when we've tried to be faithful. We've tried to do what is right. We've tried to serve. We've tried to be consistent. And bad things still happen. Or dreams are crushed. And we know that where there is no vision, people perish, Proverbs says. We have seen broken marriages. We've seen people enter marriage with all the exuberance of a child at Christmas just to see their marriage fall apart in a year. We've seen new parents so excited to raise kiddos and raise them right just to see the kids rebel. We have seen folks that have jumped into their new relationship with you just to see them all of a sudden hospitalized and there's no simple reason why. Lord, there's so many questions and I pray today that you'd help us to be honest about the expectations we've had of you. And I pray that today's story would be able to shed some light into it on some things that we could do or perhaps that we can actually feel a real shalom or peace in the presence of actually quite a few good, good people that have gone on before us and dealt with some expectations and dealt with some doubt. We come to you and submit ourselves to you in the name of Christ, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 18. This is a passage about Jesus and John the Baptist. The disciples of John the Baptist uh, told John about everything Jesus was doing, so John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him this. Now, do you have any clue where John is right now? He is in prison, right? So, and, and John was quite a granola guy. When we think about it, this guy was known to wear funny stuff, like very interesting stuff out in the wilderness, and his diet was something like uh, honey and locusts. Doesn't that just drive you to want to be a Christian? Woo! You know? So this is who he is, and he's sitting in prison. He is being updated because his disciples can come and whisper into the window or whatever. He can have visitors, but he's in prison, and he's wondering what is going on because he's hearing a lot of stuff about Jesus. Are you the Messiah? He says, this is what I want you to ask this Jesus guy. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for somebody else? Verse 20, John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, 
John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, of their illnesses and evil spirits and restored sight to so many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Really interesting how he does that. Like, he doesn't totally answer his question, does he? He just says, yes, I am the Messiah. I will overturn this kingdom and take it away from the dictators. He doesn't really do that. He's pretty much saying, pay attention. Consider. Open your eyes. Spirit, open the ears of the church. Let them hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. Well, what kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? And that's kind of interesting because even on their coins, sometimes that's what they would do. Uh, somebody that was in charge would make coins and on that they would show the reeds blowing. And kind of an illusion that, are, were you expecting somebody to come with all power and authority to kick butt and overthrow the government? Were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? Nope. People who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he was more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. I love that because that's found in the book of Malachi and Malachi was a breath of fresh air because there's this kind of quietness, the season of not a whole lot's going on and the Lord doesn't seem to be speaking. So Malachi says this and this is really exciting stuff because John seems to be that guy. Verse 28, I tell you of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John period. And you think he would end there, but he doesn't. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Are you confused? Oh, I am. When they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors agreed that God's way was right for they had been baptized by John. So let's go back to verse 28 and 29. So here, John the Baptist, he's right. And Jesus is saying it, yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. So John is coming and he's preaching and he's the forerunner, right? He's the one that even from the womb, the calling of God is upon him. And when he meets Jesus, the cousins in the womb, they do a little dance in the womb. How cool is that? Right? Dancing. I'm a Mennonite and I'm talking about dancing. Miracle. All right. So this is going on. And he is saying that John is coming. He's the forerunner and he's preaching uh, baptism for repentance, right? So he even baptized Jesus. But he's preparing them for the Messiah. And now Jesus is saying that he was great, but how much greater are folks that even come after that because they are actually children of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. So yes, John represents a whole lot of cool stories, a lot of Moses, a lot of Elijah, Noah, all that stuff, the old covenant. But now he's saying, look at this. You thought that was cool? Let me tell you that the least in the kingdom of Christ is even greater than that. 
So he's kind of showing this contrast, not to put John down, but to help you understand what Josiah was saying, the riches that we have as children of the Almighty God. And that's where the people would interject the word, thank you. Amen. When they heard this, all the people, even tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right, for they had been baptized by John. But the Sunday school teachers, the preachers, the Pharisees, the experts in religious law, they rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. To what can I compare the people of this generation? Jesus asked. How can I describe them? They're like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, well, we played wedding songs, you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you just wouldn't weep. For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine and you say he's possessed by a demon. So then, contrasting the Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks and you say, well, he's a glutton. Did you see him? He's a drunk. And he's a friend of tax collectors and those other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. The message says this. I won't say the whole portion here. But the message says this. Go back and tell John what you have just seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are healed or cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the wretched of earth have God's salvation a hospitality extended to them. Is this what you were expecting? Then count yourselves fortunate because after John's messengers left, he made this report. Their report, Jesus said more about John to the crowd. What did you expect when you went out to see John in the wild? Were you expecting to see a weekend camper? Hardly. What then? Were you expecting to see a sheik in silk pajamas? Not in the wilderness, not by a long shot. Well, what then? Were you expecting to see a messenger of God? Well, that's right, a messenger. Probably the greatest messenger you're ever going to hear. He is the messenger Malachi announced when he wrote, I'm sending my messenger on ahead to make the road smooth for you. This is a pretty cool portion of scripture. Now, the background is John is in jail and he hears stuff about Jesus because he's getting these reports and he has different expectations. But he's the forerunner and he's been preaching, making, uh, making all the paths smooth, kind of trying to take away any kind of obstacle. And then all of a sudden he hears about this Jesus and Jesus just isn't fitting my expectation of what a Messiah should be. Let's think about just for a moment, what should a Messiah be? If we could be in charge of painting a picture of the Messiah, what should he be? Well, I think he should be tall and handsome, okay? And strong, like he should be work, working out. Like he, when he walks in, you're going like, oh, mm. yikes, you know? I think he should be well-connected. What do you think? He should be... Uh, Demanding, Like when he walks in, he's a great communicator. And when he walks, there's something commanding about him. And in fact, he'll have a followership. And there's something about him that he's so well connected that he comes and whoever is in charge here or whoever's in charge in Ottawa, he can overthrow them with any question. And he will finally set all captives free. 
Doesn't that sound like a great Messiah? And I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And I think that makes a whole lot of sense for John. John is having this picture in his head. He's looking at all the history of the Israelite people and all the wrongs that have been done to them. And we need liberation. We need freedom. We need real leadership. And here Jesus is just hanging out with, you know, the losers. And he's healing people, hanging out with prostitutes. In fact, some of them even touched him. It was gross. And then he's just dealing with individuals, healing them causing the blind to see, raising some from the dead. In fact, there was even time where he was so weak, he wept when Lazarus died. Come on, is that a Messiah? <laughs> you think so? That's good, good. Folks, right from the womb, John is called to be the forerunner. His calling is to be the forerunner, to be the messenger of the Messiah, he is born into this. This is his livelihood. This is his job. And now he's looking and he's going like, seriously? Is this Messiah? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. So you can imagine, and please don't dismiss the struggle that John has at this moment. But I love it. Because he doesn't just throw it off or throw his hands up in the air. He uses this incredible word that Hebrews uses in other places in scripture. Is this word, consider. Consider this. And consider means to weigh it out. And sometimes when we're up against something and our faith doesn't seem to work out what we see in Jesus. Or when our expectations aren't met. Instead of weighing and considering, we walk away and try something new. And here he's calling us to consider. And that's what I see John doing in this prison cell as he gets the report of what did you see? And they give that report. In 18 to 20, we see that there's this confusion that John has because he's been in prison for some months here. And here we have John. He's accustomed to wild life, living in the wilderness. He's been free his whole time. And now he's in captivity. And no doubt he has a lot of physical and emotional strain and some spiritual. So you can't think of this as an ivory tower letter at this point. This guy has a lot of pressure on him. And just to think that he's been out in the wilderness doing whatever and now he's confined. That would drive me mad. And now he's considering. In fact, Luke 4 verse 18 says the Messiah would also come to set prisoners free. And what is John? Say it louder. He's a prisoner. So is this really the Messiah? It's not unusual, you guys, to struggle with doubt. If you're sitting here, if you have or are struggling with doubt, right on. No problem. And we're in really good company. Moses was ready to quit on one occasion. We know from Numbers chapter 11. We know that Elijah was ready to give up. He was absolutely depressed thinking he was the only godly guy left. And then he went up against Baal and the, the prophets of Asherah. And did some really cool stuff in 1 Kings 19. Jeremiah was fed up and ready to throw in the towel. And even Paul in 2 Corinthians 1. He knew the depths of despair. 
So we're actually in really good company when we've struggled with stuff, when we've considered stuff, when we've had to weigh things. And I want to encourage you today that don't just throw away or walk away as soon as you walk up against something. Imagine, in fact, we have a bit of an example of that in this day and age. When we have a little bit of struggle in our marriages, oftentimes people just walk away. Or if all of a sudden we walk up against a struggle in this day and age with one of our friends, we just give up on the friendship. In fact, I was even reading a, a, an article just lately that with the political environment these days, you're either a, a, a victim or pretty much you're a persecutor. But you can't really be in between. Like these days, there's so many hot topics that you can't really have an opinion because instantly I'm a victim. If you say something, if you actually have a legitimate concern and you say something, I'm going to phone some, I'll phone up Harmon and say, Josiah doesn't like me. Let's get rid of him. You know, I'm a victim. Or all of a sudden he has opinion and I can come up against him. I can't believe what Josiah thinks. But there's this like, we don't really encourage thinking in this day and age. Would you agree? You can't have an opinion anymore because it's going to offend somebody. You're going to end up in a slammer. And that's not right. Josiah and I have been having great conversations lately about are we going to let culture tell us what to do, or are we going to help set the culture? Honestly. Are we going to let culture tell us what to do? I'm not saying we don't respect, uh, you know, uh, what's going on in leadership and all that stuff, but there comes a point where, what is the Lord calling us to do? And we walk with that. And we just don't bend the knee on everything, because some of the stuff is just not right. It's not unusual for doubt. There's a difference, somebody says this, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. If you're not sure, read something like the, uh, the autobiography by Harlan Popov. And he was incarcerated for years under a communist regime. And he was beaten and tortured so many times. And finally, one time I think he confessed that, okay, I don't believe. And then he so repented. But he, you guys, he was brutally, brutally treated. Just like Brother Yun. Brother Yun, the same thing, the heavenly man. If you need some encouragement, read these books, man. Because these are folks that have been through the ringer. And if anybody could turn their back, or if anybody could doubt or give in to their doubts, it's these guys. And it was so encouraging to read these books. There's a difference, somebody says, between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is a matter of the mind. We cannot understand what God's doing, or we got to wonder what he's doing. We don't know how he's doing it or why. Unbelief, on the other hand, is a matter of the will, where we refuse to believe God's word and we refuse to obey what he's telling us. That makes sense? So there's a difference there. One is of the will, one is of the mind and heart. Doubt, um, says Oswald Chambers, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that a man is thinking. Huh? Write that down. Doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he's actually thinking. I like that. Things that can cause you to doubt. Well, I thought of a few. You might be able to add to my list. But you may doubt God's power and goodness when you lose your job. You might struggle with your health. Or you've had great broken dreams. I, in fact, I remember I had a fantastic little dream, which I shared with one of the uh, presidents of our denomination. And I was pumped about it. 
And he says, put it on my desk. I was pumped. And it wasn't that much longer later that he fell to adultery. And out goes he with the office. And here I'm going like, well, that kind of sucks, doesn't it? You know? And it was hard to recover from that because he was pumped about it. And, you know, he was listening. And I had some cool stuff going on. So he was kind of mentoring for me and all that stuff. And it was disappointing. Wayward children. Who in the world gets married and go, you know, I want to have a bunch of kids, and I just hope they rebel. I hope they're disrespectful, and they just live at my house forever. It's fun. Um, or how about a seeming quietness from God? How about we're praying, we're doing everything we used to do, and then all of a sudden it just seems as though the Lord has turned off the tap and it's dry. It's just like, why is it mom and dad seem to listen to God and hear from him? And here I kind of try and listen to God and, and I read devotions and stuff and it always seems like my prayers are hitting the ceiling. Or unanswered prayers. We've been faithfully praying for years for something and it's not working. Or perhaps you're just really lonely, no support from people surrounding you. I'm sure you could add lots to my list, things that could cause us to doubt God's goodness. Doubt is real. Responses to doubt we see in, in verses 29 to 34. We enter the story with John struggling and doubting the Messiah. And we're quickly introduced to the ways people are dealing with God's plan. So ordinary people, sinners, tax collectors, the down and out, the ones that have no friends, the ones that are poor living on the streets, they can actually see John the Baptist and they see Jesus and they welcome it. They're going, hey, this is awesome. For some reason, they're in a humble spot so they can reach out and receive what Jesus has for them. It's really interesting. And what's so scary to me, it's the folks that perhaps have grown up in the church or perhaps it's the folks that are teaching, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they're the ones that have swallowed a cheap grace and they're the ones that think this is how God operates. So this doesn't make any sense. And I think we're at that place in, a, in this history of our church right now is that we have actually come to a place where we're sensing the Lord is about to do something and we're sensing he is doing something. A lot of cool stuff is happening in our church. But we also got to be willing to let God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit speak into our church here. Right? It's His. We're His body. So these ordinary people, they respond. But the folks who you'd think grew up with this, they knew the law. They're the ones that have a bone to pick with John the Baptist. They're the ones that have a bone to pick with Jesus. People saw John the Baptist, and he was weird. Who wants to be a forerunner, or who wants to be this of the way kind of, when he was just almost weird or, or almost gross, like what he was wearing and eating, and it's just like, that guy has no friends. I don't want to be like John the Baptist. Honestly. And he was so clean cut. He never boozed. He never did anything that would bring anything into question when it comes to morality. And people were going, the guy is so stiff. To be of the way, you got to be like John. Who wants to be like John? And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes. And Jesus is hanging out at some parties. He's hanging out with some people that are, are drinking wine. He's hanging out with some people that seem to be into partying and all this stuff. With prostitutes and stuff. 
Obviously, he's, you know, not doing anything wrong here. But it's interesting because with one guy, the guy's so stiff, I don't want to be, and the other one, he's a wine-bibber, whatever that is. <laughs> I hope I'm not a wine-bibber. <laughs> but nonetheless. So he's a wine-bibber, so they complain they have the pendulum swing, and uh, nobody's good enough. And let me tell you, there's a chance that you're doing that in your life. You are looking for excuses. In fact, we've had people leave this church and they come up with some lame excuse instead of just saying something to me that, you know, I think the Lord's moving me on. It'll be something really weird. And it'll be something like, I, you know, I, me or somebody that was here before me didn't show up at an opportune time to visit somebody in the hospital. And it was just like, it was a miscommunication. I'm sorry. But it's interesting because we love to latch on to excuses. There's something, and I'm going to say, I don't go to that church anymore because the preacher said this, or they were unkind to me. You know, and we're just full of a bunch of baloney when it comes to our spiritual lives sometimes. And he's not calling us to be decaf Christians. He's calling us to be disciples, to grow up. Honestly, this is a tough sermon because part of it is just saying, you know what? Grow up, you guys. Be mature in Christ. If you're sitting here and you've been sitting here for 40 years and you have not grown, you're still not serving, you have not discipled anybody, he's saying to you today, it's time to grow up. It's not all about you. It's not just you warming this pew. Get busy and start living this out, connecting with God, connecting with others, because I didn't just give you this relationship so you can sit on it. You proclaim it and you live it out where you live. In fact, somebody said, if you're really a disciple, that means you're discipling somebody. And we're starting to have that conversation at our board level. If you're going to be a disciple, that means you're discipling somebody. Disciples, disciple. How is that for meddling? But imagine this, that if you start discipling one person this year, and it doesn't mean you have to have all the answers, but you actually come together and you start hanging out with somebody intentionally. You do one person this year. Next year, you look for two people, and guess what? That person you just discipled will do it. So now there's three persons for all the people represented in this room. We're going to kick some butt for Christ, don't you think? So sometimes we have to have bite-sized goals here, but I think we got to get busy when it comes to discipleship and realize that we can have intentional meetings with people of our own age or younger, whatever it might be, but it's time to start discipling one another. In essence, when Jesus is approached by John's disciples, uh, he asks the questions. When folks went out to see John the Baptist, did they, see a, did they want to go to see a beautiful landscape with reeds blowing in the wind, complemented by the good old Saskatchewan odd tumbleweed? Did they go out to see the next fashion statement presented by the fashion designer John the Baptiste? Dressed in sackcloth with the smell of honey and sun-tanned grasshoppers on his breath. They did not. He's going, what did they go to see? And he's asking the same question. What did you come here for this morning? What did you expect of your relationship with Christ? And there's a good chance that some of you have to wipe that slate clean because your expectations are hogwash. Some of you, as uh, Sky Jastani would say, some of you, because of your just 
itsy bitsy view or one side of the diamond when it comes to Christ. Some of you have been inoculated to a real relationship with Christ because you've only swallowed a little, little piece of him. Consider. Consider. What does it take? I thought about a few things. I think we got to take time. We're a drive-through generation and I think he's calling us to have take some time, some time to be with the Lord. I know when Jody and I are struggling in our marriage or whatever it might be, we look back and we go, gee, we haven't had a, we've been really busy with work, really busy with the kids, really busy with entertaining. When's the last time we had a date? Well, it's time. And Dave Edwards, you say, um, quantity time is often comes out of, uh, sorry, quality time often comes out of quantity time. So you just can't take your teenager and go, I have half an hour. Now say something smart. You know? Probably it won't happen, you know? We gotta take time to press into the Lord. We gotta take time to open up his word and let it speak to us. I like even what Josiah and I went to the conference and they just said, like, why don't, why not just open your time with open hands and and you know zip the lip. Don't talk. Shh. Lord. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come speak to me. And sometimes just zip it or read the word of God and pay attention. Turn off your phone, throw it, smash it, whatever you have to do. Do something with that phone. And be quiet and press into the Lord. That's way harder to do than it sounds. And I think sometimes that's a devil's tactic. He doesn't have to do all sorts of crazy, wild, whoa, did you see that? He can just keep you so stinking busy that you never pay attention to what Jesus wants to say to you. I think we could read encouraging books, including biographies that I've talked about, Harlan Popov or Brother Yun. We can serve others in the name of Christ. Some of you have been so enamored with your own health that you don't shh and start looking to others. You've been so enamored with me, 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 and me, and this happened and this. You're like a country song. I like country, but there comes a point where you got to turn it to a rock station or something because country, lost my dog, lost this, lost that. Like, come on, right? It's time to start thinking of others. We got to meditate on his word. We got to remember his faithfulness to you, his faithfulness to your family, and his faithfulness to those around you. I encourage you to keep a journal. Just write that stuff down because there's comes a point where sometimes where you're in the thick of stuff and you're feeling down and doubtful, you can go back to your journal and go, oh yeah, oh yeah. And we've had some incredible people. We have buried some incredible people that used to worship with us here. One being Edlene, another being uh, good old Pastor Ken. We have a long line of fantastic people that have walked with us, you guys. Even they had incredible stories. Remember, he has called you to be a disciple, and it's a journey, not a moment. And I would say, too, weigh the evidence. Consider the evidence, and don't put so much into your feelings. Weigh the evidence. You guys, another thing I'd like to point out is, you and I are now sitting back looking at this whole meal deal that we call the Bible, And at this point, John the Baptist doesn't have this. He doesn't have the full Bible. And go, oh, I know how this ends. So we're talking some serious faith that he's displaying here. 
as he's weighing what is happening. So I would say that when we deal with doubt, when we weigh it out, one of the things we got to do is we got to engage the process and we got to weigh or we got to engage the process or engage the way of wisdom. Verse 23, there's this, uh, where's the point since The Greek word translated offended gives us our English word scandalize and it referred originally to the bait stick in a trap. John was in danger of being trapped because of his concern about what Jesus was not doing. He was stumbling over his Lord and stumbling over his ministry. Jesus gently told him to have faith for his Lord knew what he was doing. Did you get that? I love what Wiersbe says here. Is that John was weighing and going, this was my expectation of the Messiah. Jesus is not doing these things. I gotta wonder if he's the Messiah. How true is that for us, you guys? Jesus is not healing you. I wonder if he is the one true God. Or it seems as though things are going so against Christianity today and everybody believes everything that Otto was telling us to believe. Maybe we are wrong. Or it looks like all my friends, when they're partying, smoking pot and drinking booze all the time, they look like they're having a ton of fun and I'm just sitting here going, maybe, maybe this isn't the real adventure life. There's so many opportunities for us to doubt and I love this because he uses this word like putting peanut butter on a rat trap and the rat might even know that but that peanut butter is so good and he gets snapped and he's sent on to wherever rats go (laughs) I'm sure it's not heaven (laughs) the point is is Even Jesus is using this wording in verse 23 that he does not want people to stumble because of what he is doing and not doing. And he's not saying, I am the Messiah and I will overthrow this kingdom. He's not doing that. He's saying, look what's happening. People are getting saved. People are responding to the gospel. The blind see, dead are being raised from the grave. People are being healed. Look and weigh it out. Consider think I love this he would say the same to us today Christ's way of doing stuff was indeed a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies but not necessarily the fulfillment of your expectations Bach would say he's a commentator he would say that there there would be two strong allusions to the Old Testament. One of them we said already was Malachi. He says, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And another one was Exodus. Back in Exodus, when God sends the Shekinah glory, so the glory of God, the obvious glory of God, ahead of the people for Israel to prepare them and to guide them. So here, this is John the Baptist's opportunity to do it. And now here's the Messiah. But I'm saying the same. We're looking back. And could it be that he's also calling us to the role of what John the Baptist was doing to prepare ye the way of the Lord? Is there a chance that there's a person in your workplace, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your family, that you will actually be used to prepare the way of the Lord? How cool is that? And sometimes you won't even see it. I've shared with you when I was back at Miller and, and uh, hanging out in, uh, oh, I don't even know what that, 
one of those little hick towns just outside of it, I went and I shared the gospel with this couple and then somebody after me shared the gospel a year or two later and then somebody else came and finally he gave his life to the Lord before he died. So I got to prepare the way of the Lord and then somebody else continued that and then somebody else continued that and he finally came to Christ. How cool is that? And he wants to do the same in your life. Do not underestimate your story in Christ. Do not underestimate how he can use your illness, how he can use your struggle, how he can use your financial situation, how he can use your doubts to actually help prepare the way of the Lord. Jesus gives one more illustration, which I alluded to before. He says, he's pretty much saying that this generation that he's talking to these ones that are so selfish, they threw a party and they wouldn't come, they threw a funeral, they wouldn't sing, you know that? They're like kids, and some commentators call it, this is the parable of the brats. The parable of the brats. He gives the picture of kids that take their ball and they go home. Fine, if you're not going to play by my rules, I'm taking my ball and going home. But how many adults are like that? Like, if I don't get my way, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home I don't want to play with you any longer I don't like you he gives this picture kind of feels almost like a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon you know they're playing the game and then Calvin's losing so he changes the rules midway they're complaining that God's plan is not going according to their plans or their expectations I like this box. It says, God's wisdom is revealed to those who respond to his ways on his terms. Can I just beg of you for a moment? And I'm working on this big time in my own life. I do not have this down pat. But instead of just going with this list of things to pray about, or these things where we're rubbing a genie and asking God to come out and give us three wishes, can you just go before the presence of the Lord and prepare yourself and maybe open your hands and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? What do you want me to hear? And then be quiet. Like, shut that off in your head. Don't think about supper. Don't think about what your wife did just on the way to church and got in an argument. Don't think about how your kid disrespected you. Don't think about business. Just zip it. And allow the Lord to speak to you. He may actually bring you back to a verse you memorized. He may bring you back to a point where you have offended somebody and you actually need to apologize. He may come to a point where all of a sudden this banner over you gives you a word picture of what he thinks about you. And if it's rotten thoughts, then it's not from him. Can I get you to do that? Time. God's wisdom is revealed in those who respond to his ways on his terms. You don't know how many people even that I've, my contemporaries, guys that I used to serve in the pastorate with, and now I just would not recommend you go to their church or their ministry because I'm just going, what? They have totally bent over to culture or they've walked away from their faith. Consider and weigh and be steered what God has for you, not what you have for God. So conclude with this. You probably figured it out. It's the C word. Consider and weigh the evidence. Weigh history. Weigh the facts, not just your feeling. Weigh the stories that you have experienced. Weigh the stories that you have heard. 
Don't just let your doubts dangle in the wind. I've, been, I, I've done that sometimes. I've just let doubts dangle in the wind. And I, they just, I let them dangle there or I sweep them under the rug, but they build up over time. And deal with them. Make an appointment. Read a good book from a trusted author, whatever it might be. Listen to an online sermon, whatever it might be. But deal with some of those considerations, those doubts that you have dangling in the wind. Deal with them. Study. Submit yourself to Jesus in prayer. Hang out with people that can build up your faith. It's hard to soar like an eagle when you're surrounded by turkeys. Consider, consider, consider. Consider the roles of John. Consider the role of Jesus. And now I want you today to consider your role. What is your role right now as a disciple of Christ? When you walk out of here, what is your role? Is it just simply to, oh, that was nice, come back next week? Or what is your role this week? When you walk out of here, when you go into a restaurant this afternoon, when you sit down with a cup of tea with your wife or husband, when you interact with your grandkids, what is your role? Because the fact is the imminent return of Jesus Christ means that he can come back at any time. And are you ready? And are you part of this forerunning, realizing that he could come at any time and there's a huge chance that your friends at school or that your neighborhood has not even heard the name of Jesus besides the swear word? And here you have a treasure. Consider your role this morning. Consider your role. Do you have the role of being a forerunner? Will somebody come to a deeper understanding and relationship with Christ because of your ministry? Consider. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this portion of scripture. And I thank you that we are in great company. Guys like John the Baptist, Elijah, Moses. The list goes on of folks that scratch their head wondering what you're up to. And today I want to ask, Lord, that you'd be with my friends here this morning, including myself. That we would not run away and do something stupid because we're, we're enamored with guilt or rebellion or, or, or doubt. But that our doubt would actually drive us to our knees. Our doubt would drive us to history. Our doubt would drive us to weigh the facts. Our doubt would drive us to hang out with the older people that have tasted and seen that God is good. We need that, Lord. We need each other. So, Father, continue to reveal yourself to us. Even if right now we're sitting in the midst of disappointment, I pray that today you would enable us and empower us and encourage us to move forward, realizing that you are hearing what's going on today. You see, and we even know from the book of John, that you also have wept. And Lord, today, encourage us with that, that you see us, that we are not alone, and that you are willing and powerful enough to deal with any doubt that we have this morning. We consider you in the name of Christ.